This is Energy Thinks, a podcast about how the oil and gas industry can future-proof against rising social risk and lead the world into the energy future. I'm Tisha Schuler, your host and the principal of Adamantine Energy. This season, I've been speaking with game-changing leaders from the oil and gas industry. And this is the final episode, and it's no coincidence that I'm speaking with Pierce Norton, who's president and CEO at OneGas. Pierce has become a colleague and a friend, someone who challenges my thinking and uh, allows me to be better in engaging with oil and gas leaders. So many of you are familiar with OneGas. The company serves Oklahoma, Texas, and Kansas, providing natural gas to over 2 million customers. Pierce is a longtime natural gas guy. He began in 1982 working for all kinds of companies, uh, One Oak, Bear Paw Energy, American Oil and Gas, Delhi Gas Pipe. He's a member of the American Gas Association's Board of Directors and in 2017 served as its chair. Pierce is an Alabama native. He holds a degree in mechanical engineering from the University of Alabama and is also a graduate of Harvard Business School's Advanced Management Program. I think one thing that you'll be interested to hear about in this podcast is what questions leaders can ask during disruption to think differently about how to approach it as a leader, as an employee. If you'd like to learn more about our Energy Thinks podcast or our work at Adam and Team, check out our website at energythinks.com. Now, please enjoy the final episode of season two with game-changing leader, Pierce Norton. Pierce, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me on the Energy Thinks podcast. Well, thank you, Tisha, and it's glad to be with you today. So I've been following your leadership with interest because, Pierce, each year you do a company address, and in it, you inspire your employees to ask a new question. Um, I find find this so interesting, and I'm wondering if you could talk about these questions and the thought behind them. Well, I guess the the first thing I'd say, Tisha, is that the um, I've, I've learned through the years that the most important thing in leadership, or one of the most important things, is, is what questions do we ask? And so uh, when we ask questions, I think that, that it makes you think. Um, it also makes you slow down. I think it, it gives you uh, the chance to make better decisions. And our decisions are, are really influenced by our assumptions and the risk that are around those assumptions. Uh, so we simply came up with these kind of two word questions uh, to make our whole organization slow down just a little bit and to think about the decisions that we're making. So the first one that we did, I think it was back in 2019, we talked about what if, uh, and we followed that up with the, with the uh, rest of the question, which is what if our assumptions are wrong? Uh, how does that change the risk in what we're doing? And it especially applies to the safety in our organization. What if you're about to do something and, and it's just not the way you think it is? Uh, could that cause harm to either our employees or the public? But it also applies to to the commercial side of our business. What if something is not the way we think it is? And uh, so that's kind of the way it got started. And then we'd like to build on that, you know, which is, you know, the next year uh, we talked about uh, first year's what if, the second year's what else? What else can we do, you know, to address climate change? What else can we do to grow our business? And then this last year, it was it was what's next. Uh, so what's next? Uh, safety and compliance. Uh, we talked about transparency, and especially we talked about innovation uh, as we were, as we go into probably the next decade of energy transformation. 
It's so interesting, Pierce, because it's more than just slowing down. There's also an inherent humility in pausing to ask questions, which I really think is so important as our industry faces so many big disruptors, this pause and reflect. Uh, so thank you for that. And I'm, I'm going to take those three questions. I'm planning my own uh, company retreat, and I'm going to take those three questions to my company. I think it's a really different way to frame our thinking about the future risk, our assumptions. I really love that. Uh, one thing that you just mentioned I want to um, keep building on is this idea of addressing climate. It's challenging for oil and gas leaders to take on climate. I think it's a really unique framing to put, uh, as you said, climate into this question of, of what, what if and what else. Can you talk about um, how you were inspired to take on climate and, and what that was like for you as a, as a longtime industry leader? Well, you, you mentioned in your question, uh, Tisha, that it's, it is a challenging topic uh, to take on climate. But I thought for us, and I think even the industry, the, the challenge was not necessarily the topic. The challenge was, how do we change our mindset? Uh, we've, we've, we've existed for decades and decades under kind of the same mindset that is, you know, we're, we're just too important. Uh, as it relates to reliability and affordability. And, um, you know, so we kind of get into a certain mindset there. And I think that the more difficult part was to change the mindset. But what inspired us uh, to really take on this challenge was simply looking at the numbers. Uh, when you look at greenhouse gas emissions and you look at the, uh, the CO2 equivalents of that, then basically fossil fuels accounts for about 74% of all the CO2 emissions here in the United States. And it all has to do with transportation, you know, electric power generation, industrial, residential and commercial uh, use of the product. So with, with that much uh, attributing to CO2 emissions, we have to be part of the solution. Uh, yes, you know, we, we're creating these things, but it's so important to be a part of the solution. And part of it is also using these assets that we have to basically capture methane from, you know, our natural gas systems and petroleum systems, landfills, you know, um, in agriculture and waste treatment. So we can literally use some of these systems that we have to, to basically capture some renewable natural gas, which that accounts for another 6%, but it's an important 6%. Uh, so, so much in there for us to, to explore. Um, but I will just mention one thing that you have identified, which I'm really passionate about, which is our industry making contributions, even outside of our existing footprint. And, and one of those is the way that we capture landfill gas or um, agriculture related methane emissions and turn them into renewable natural gas and in some ways repurpose or augment our system in this decarbonizing energy future. So you very uh, naturally incorporated that greater role, that greater potential our industry has just to be in the way you're talking and thinking about this. Um, let me let me ask you, because of um, the mindset challenge, sometimes I put it in this context of political identity and, and a willingness to talk about a climate or ability to talk about it differently. You seem to do that really naturally. How have your employees reacted? How's your leadership reacted? Has it been tough? Is there, can, can other leaders anticipate big pushback when, when they try to take this on within their companies? Yeah, 
<clears throat> Tish, I think any time that you um, address an issue like this, the first step is literally to say, okay, there's an issue. It's just recognizing that there's an issue, that greenhouse gas emissions e exist uh, and that we have to do something about it to, to reduce those. So I, I'd say the first thing, there are really three things. Our, our employees were really glad to see that we're talking about it. You know, when you don't talk about it, uh, it, it's just an admission that you're not admitting that something is needing to be done. Um, so they like that we're talking about it. They like that we have a plan. And also I'm seeing a, a, a new mentality. Um, they're thinking beyond what we've done in the past, which is replacing pipe, you know, that was for safety reasons, but it also reduces uh, emissions as well. And so it puts things into perspective. And, and the third thing is there's just a really high level of interest in new innovations and new technology in our industry. I, I guess if I could sum it up in one word, it would be engagement. Our employees feel that they're part of a solution now and that they're part of something big. There's something bigger than, than themselves. Pierce, it's so exciting. I, and I didn't expect that answer. So thank you for taking us in a new direction. I, I didn't anticipate. I, I was ready to think like, how do you overcome like traditional political um, identities? But instead what I'm hearing is that your workforce, you're headquartered in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that um, the workforce is excited and engaged by talking about climate. It takes them out of the position of maybe of being defenders of, you know, of, of the industry and into uh, solution actors um, and, and participating in the innovation. Uh, is that, did I capture that, that right? Is that, is that your experience that your employees are really embrace, embracing this conversation? Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and of course, it, it all began with the way we began this podcast of, of thinking differently, you know, mm. asking what if, well, what if we don't address this issue? What's the worst thing that can happen? And so then you go into the next year of, you know, what's what's next and what, you know, what else can we do? And so it, it's just been an evolutionary process. Uh, I don't think it's something that there, that you flip a switch on. Uh, it's just in the way that you that the organization begins to think differently about what what challenges and opportunities that we face in the future. So, Pierce, um, I'm also interested in what thoughts you have for companies who are new to this conversation about climate and decarbonization and how you engage with your executive team and your board on, on the topic to chart a course. One of the things that I've noticed, Tisha, is that uh, people are setting the very long range goals. So basically what we're doing is we're committing kind of the next generation and the next generation of leadership to something that uh, so we're making a promise that somebody else has got to has got to cash that check. So I, I guess one of the things I would do is it's that author Ash quote that says, uh, you know, start where you are use what you have and do what you can. And I think I boil that down to focus on kind of the three pieces of what are you gonna do in the next 10 years? What do you wanna do in the next 20 years? And what do you wanna do in the next 50 years? Because the next 10 years, we're gonna to have to use the, the technology and the things and the policies that we have. And then we're gonna to have to have some of the other stuff catch up as far as the technology goes before we can truly get to a net zero emissions in 2050. But 
our board understands that we're taking a little bit different approach uh, to that as far as setting our net zero emissions, not because we don't think it's important. We do. We definitely align with going toward that net zero goal, but we want to study this. We want to understand the analysis behind what is it that we can truly do to make an impact and then tell the public our assumptions and then go to executing on it. That makes a lot of sense. And and speaking of starting where you are, let, let's talk about this this year. Um, in the first quarter, your company, like many uh, natural gas companies, had to contend with a great freeze. And I imagine that that's been extremely disruptive to your business. Yet, um, in a recent earnings call, you reiterated One Gas's commitment to ESG. Um, and, and related initiatives. How do you, how do you think about balancing uh, these kind of operational priorities with the longer term thinking um, on a, you know, on a day-to-day, month-to-month basis? You know, we really believe that our, our immediate operational priorities and our longer term thinking actually just go hand in hand. So we focused, you know, for decades on replacing pipe making these systems uh, more reliable, more resilient. You know, a good example is we've made over 18 different interconnects with other pipeline systems that basically harden our systems around our cities. So we're putting in more city gates so we can flow gas, you know, from the outer skirts, you know, to the inner cities uh, more effectively and and more reliably. So we've, we've always been doing those kind of things, replacing these pipes also reduces emissions. But but we also are looking at using those same kind of assets. So you, you've really made the assets better uh, and more reliable in the future so that you can take in renewable natural gas, you can take in hydrogen and those kind of things. So really the things we do today su- do nothing more than, than support the rest of the, you know, the future and the longevity of, of not only the company, but the industry. We will be back to the Energy Thinks podcast momentarily, but if you work in the oil and gas industry, you understand that we are facing a massive set of disruptions that are unprecedented in our lifetime. This pandemic has upended the world in which we operate in. How can oil and gas leaders face these disruptions in ways that aren't just reactive, but proactive? Tisha Schuler's new book, The Game Changers Playbook, How Oil and Gas Leaders Thrive in an Era of Continuous Disruption, is that guide for oil and gas leaders who want to make sense of this moment and chart a better path forward. Order your copy today at energythinks.com backslash gamechanger. That's energythinks.com backslash gamechanger. And now, back to the show. That's really nice because you have a different way of thinking about the way I think about set an aspirational goal. Pierce, one of the things that connected um, you and I in in this work is uh, our shared values. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about yourself as a leader and the role that values play um, in, in your work and in this work. Well, I'm really glad you brought that up, Tisha, because... To me, the values are everything. Uh, It's the way organizations basically police themselves. Uh, We have five core values. Safety and compliance is our first core value. Ethics, the second. Inclusion and diversity is the third. And then value and service is the last two. Um, We we say around here, and what we've done is we've developed the not not only the values, but but the behaviors that are associated with those values. 
and you simply tell the the employees this is what we stand for this is the behaviors that we expect to see and then we simply ask the question does your experience match this message and if it doesn't speak up and then the the, the second thing that we do is we we basically teach that that cultures are defined by what you tolerate and promote and you simply let that concept work. Um, the way we came to that was for years, the board would ask me what keeps me up at night. And I would simply reply, it's what I don't know. And, but if you, if you deploy this thinking in your culture, then the culture then polices itself. It's much like a locker room. The, the teams that win national championships typically are those teams that the coaches don't have to police it, the players do. And so if you deploy this, this type of, uh, of philosophy, then the employees then police themselves and they hold themselves to a certain standard. And, and it has really, really worked well for our company. It's so such a, a, a great and interesting way of thinking about it. Another way of engaging the employees in this authentic and holistic way. Can you, you work in some challenging, I imagine challenging environments in Austin, Texas, for example. Do, do these values help you connect to what I'm guessing can sometimes be a hostile public? Yeah, they, they do. Um, but we, we also think that the best testimonies that you can get is from your actual customers. So there's a couple of things that we do. One is that we actually go to our customers and so far they've been very willing to do this. How is it that natural gas impacts them in the product that they make, uh, in, the, uh, in their economic viability, all of those kind of things. And they've been able to do these testimonials. We do those, we put them out on the website, we do these videos. Uh, that's helped us a lot. Uh, we've also uh, done a lot of education and looked at, you know, with our state levels and, and have passed energy choice legislation. All we're asking for is that the, that the public be able to choose what energy source that they want, that someone's not making that decision for them. If they choose something else other than us, then that's okay. Uh, we've got to earn their business. And so energy choice legislation was, was extremely important to us. And then the other thing is we just emphasize that you can't pick winners and losers. Uh, we've got to, the, the problem is large enough that it's going to take all sources of energy working to a common goal of this net zero emissions if we're going to be successful. It, it's that large and that important. Completely agree. And it's so important. I love the idea that we, we as an industry have to earn our place um because that just challenges us on every level to 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 rise to the occasion um you mentioned in talking about your values and company values diversity equity and inclusion um we at adamant team just think that's so important to attracting retaining inspiring our, our workforce how, how are you thinking about um your current and future workforce at, and creating a diverse and uh, inclusive work environment you know it's uh, we actually switched the letters at this company instead of saying uh, diversity and inclusion we flip that and say inclusion and diversity so we call it ind 
our, our philosophy there is that if you don't create an environment of inclusiveness, that you really can't unlock the diversity that you have in the company. So we spend a lot of time, like you said, on the core values, a lot of time focusing on the fact that, that we want people to give their opinions. Uh, it may not be you know, accepted or not, uh, but we want them to have the freedom to do that and to do it in an environment where there's no fear and, and respect everybody's opinion. Uh, and uh, so, so we flip that, but it also unlocks the diversity that we have in the company. Uh, we do listening sessions. Uh, one of the things that, that we do is, is uh, you know, I get a chance to meet with all the interns during the summer. I get a chance to meet with every single new employee uh, in the company. We used to do it in person. Now we do it on, on, uh, on these video calls. Um, I'll be glad when we get back to the in-person stuff, but it's just simply asking, you know, what is it that attracted you, you know, to one guest? We want to create an environment here where people, maybe they don't know exactly what's going on with the company, but our employees, they speak about it in a way where other people say, I want some of that. I want to come and work for a company that treats their employees like that, that, that has inclusiveness as a very important part and, and unlocks the diversity that we have in our employees. I love that. It really gives me the picture of inclusion being um, contagious. I, lo I love that idea, inspiring employees to be talking at home um, about their place of business in a way that tracks, attracts uh, other talent to our industry. So um, I, in the same spirit, um, millennials are a huge part, a third or more of our oil and gas workforce, and millennials have been uh, speaking out. Millennials external to the industry speak out in a very powerful way about need to care for the environment, need to address racial equity and justice. So we have this uh, internal workforce. Is that is the millennial workforce something that your company spends um, time and resources nurturing, or or what's your thinking about how we bring out the best in, in our millennial workforce? This is where I get a chance to thank you, Tisha, uh, for comments that you made in your Game Changers playbook, uh, because we did read that. We listened to you and understand how important it is to engage the next generation. Uh, oftentimes, we talk around here about um, how we honor the past and honor those who come be before us, because it's, if it were not for them, we wouldn't be doing what we do today. Mm -hmm. so, so those of us who are here today need to make decisions for the next generation. Well, that next generation is the millennials. So we, we've actually created you know, some kind of millennial committees to, to give us more feedback on the future of this company and what it's, what's really important to them. And, and that's been very, very beneficial to us so far. It's, it's early, it's early, we're in early stages, but I really am looking forward to, to what that's gonna produce in the future for this next generation. That's so exciting, Pierce, and thank you for engaging in that work. It can be challenging. I know personally, I have a lot of millennials on my team, and it can be challenging um, to embrace such a different worldview. Um, but gosh, it's, I think, the most inspiring and exciting 
part of our future that we have um, this our our secret weapon, uh, this huge part of our workforce that can can help us um, lead into the energy future. So um, last question for you, Pierce. I'm, I'm curious, 2020 was so challenging. 2021 kicking off with a great freeze was no easy, um, no, no easy event. Um, how are you changing your own leadership style to rise to the challenges of this moment? What, in what ways are you evolving um, at, in this disruptive environment? If I had to pick one word, I'd say it's intentionality. Um, you know, you we've lost randomness uh, as we went through the pandemic. I used to be able to park in a garage. I would see employees walking into the building from the garage. I would see them in the elevator. I'd see them in the hallways. Um, but now that everybody is working remotely, then you have to be very intentional about remembering, hey, I need that, they need this, and random calling to employees just to check on them and see how they're doing. And, and But I would say intentionality is probably the very biggest thing. And also think that we're, we're learning things from this pandemic that we may not have to do things exactly the way we used to do them. We still need that personal you know, interface. We still need the personal contact. But it's also okay to do some meetings on video calls. We've gotten really good at these video calls. And so I think there's going to be a hybrid in, in the future uh, because people and in, in the employees have proven that they can work very effectively from home. But what are you missing? What are you missing as far as development? Uh, we, we tend to you know, learn by sight and being around people that's going to be very important in the future and some sort of a hybrid model to kind of take advantage of what we learned in the pandemic and then also what we're missing which is really cultivating the culture and making sure people have personal interconnecting and that, and that people are being developed mm, it, it's no surprise to me pierce that you would pick intentionality because as i know you you're such a thoughtful innovative, authentic leader. And um, I just want to thank you for being a game changer in our industry. You're someone that I admire and I learn from. Uh, so thanks for joining me on the Energy Thinks podcast. You're welcome, Tisha. Anytime. That's our episode for today. Thanks so much to Pierce uh, for taking his time to share insights with us. One thing I really loved about this episode was how we can take these questions, questions that might be inspired initially by a safety culture and apply them to all the disruptors, whether it's activism around climate, engaging in equity, diversity and inclusion, thinking about how to work with our millennial workforce. So asking what if, what else, what's next? I love how that opens the aperture on our work. I'd like to know what you found insightful. So check out energythinks.com backslash podcast and please let me know. This is the end of our season two. Thank you so much for, uh, for joining us. We're gonna take a little break for the summer and we're gonna prep and start recording episodes for season three. We'll be in your back in your feeds in September. So feel free to um, let your friends know to subscribe to the Energy Thinks podcast. If you like what you're hearing, take a moment to rate and review us. Thanks so much to Scott Marshall, Lindsay Gage, and Michael Tanner, who made all of season two possible. Until next time, I'm Tisha Schuler. over this summer, wishing you and yours happiness, 
prosperity and good health.